0: Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. 2021 has been a challenging year for everyone. Cyber attacks continue to grow in frequency, complexity and harm and organisations of all sizes have found their defences put to the test at the same time as they have been dealing with the impact of the pandemic. Will 2022 offer any respite? And how can security teams bolster their defences? We asked some of our guests from this year to reflect on cybersecurity in 2021 and to share their outlook for the coming year.
1: I'm Piers Wilson, Director at the Chartered Institute of Information Security for me looking back at uh, the last 12 months has really there's really been two things that have um, driven the the security agenda um, the first one has been if you like the closing the closing dates so the closing down of the the pandemic the move back away from the lockdowns that we've had in the past to this new way of working which still involves people working from home people having their data in the cloud endpoint computing Uh, hybrid teams that are part in the office part remote and that change which we've all had to adapt to i think will persist and security teams are still dealing if you like with the, the ramifications of that in terms of how meetings get arranged how audits happen how oversight and assurance and security control verification works in this increasingly hybrid remote world that we now operate in as businesses so that's one area that in 2021 we've all been dealing with um, You know, as the pandemic has you know, oscillated up and down in the background. The second one in the last 12 months has clearly been ransomware, the challenges of those attacks which disrupt our systems, our supply chains, our interfaces to the real world. And ransomware has been a huge challenge for organizations, for security professionals. And also for those working in the insurance side of um, cyber risk, where you're trying to transfer risk to insurers, they're also acutely aware of the cost and the damage that ransomware can do, and therefore the liabilities, financial or otherwise, that that can entail. Then if we look ahead to 2022, those two challenges, I think, will persist. We will still have businesses as the pandemic fluctuates between relative unlocking and then restrictions. And we'll still have businesses that are getting used to operating in a remote way with people working from home, with teams spread between offices and changing the way they do things like third party visits, like site audits, reviewing data centers, how they enforce security measures in this new paradigm that we've all inherited from, from COVID-19. And then if I look at ransomware to see where that's going, well, we don't really see ransomware attacks becoming less of a problem. They might become a little more infrequent as we learn better to defend against them. But those attacks that do take place will be just as damaging, just as expensive. And insurers um who are on the, the receiving end of the cost in many of these cases they are aware of this as i said and they are looking at ways to control their exposure by enforcing improvements in controls improvements in control visibility to enable them to get a better picture not over their risk but also to reduce it so i think we'll see businesses who used to see insurance as a kind of a catch-all for the security risk they didn't want to manage having to improve their control environments so they can even afford or even get insurance in the first place and then I guess you know, as ransomware um, develops and cyber criminals evolve, we will start to see, I'm fairly sure, attacks that are motivated not by financial reward, but by the, the desire to, to cause damage, disruption, to cause harm. And we've already kind of seen that with some of the health sector attacks that have happened. And then the last thing, uh, and it's very topical this week, as we've seen with the Log4j vulnerability, is the software that we all depend on, the code libraries, the DLLs, the bits of underlying software products that sit behind the applications and the systems we buy and use. We're not immune to those latent endemic vulnerabilities in those parts of our software stack. And we've seen it this week, something is, uh, is vulnerable, there's an exposure, it could be easily exploited and suddenly software package after software package and system after system and security team after security team are then having to deal with this new exposure that's been discovered. And I suspect it'll take uh, a good few weeks into 2022 to deal with this current situation, but it won't be the last. It hasn't been the first, so there's no indication that this is a problem that's going to go away. And I think 2022 will be spread between those issues, the the short-term software patching and updates and vulnerability management issues, as well as dealing with security in the world we now find ourselves in. And ransomware, the challenge that's been there for at least the last uh, two or three years, but certainly in the last 12 months, has been really at front of mind. I'm Ian Pratt, Global Head of Security for HP Personal Systems. 2021
2: was a record year for breaches. If you look at the kinds of attacks that have been occurring, it's really been a case of, uh, of targeting the intersection of vulnerable technology and fallible users. The attackers luring the user to click on something, compromising their endpoint, which then is used as the beachhead for deeper compromise into the, uh, into the organization. The same methods have been used for that, for doing that for many years, and I'm sure will continue to be used as the primary means through, uh, through 2022. And if you look at, at how things are evolving, when it comes to predicting the future, the, the, uh, the William Gibson quote of the future's already here, it's just not evenly distributed, is very much true when it comes to cybersecurity. We can look at things that happened last year that were perhaps the preserve of, uh, of nation states or very niche attacks, and we can expect them to become more mainstream. In uh, in 2022 and subsequent years, and there are a few things there I think which we should pay attention to. One attack which I think stood out last year was the Casaya software supply chain attack. Software supply chain attacks have uh, have been around for a long time, but traditionally it's been the preserve of uh, of nation states doing um, you know quite targeted attacks against uh, you know other uh, governments and uh, and maybe enterprises, but with the casera attack, we saw a software supply chain attack being used for for ransomware, which is uh, you know really the first time that that had uh, had occurred. All independent software vendors need to really think about how they could become a target for for that kind of attack and how you know, ransomware criminal organizations may be trying to use their software to actually target their end users and it that's the that's now in scope, whereas perhaps if their customers had not been government organizations or enterprises, that might not have been something they'd had to particularly worry about before. But now every software vendor is uh, very much in the potential crosshairs of these uh, these criminal organizations. All organizations need to start paying more attention um, to the, the security of their infrastructure, particularly if they have things like cloud update services, yeah, their whole build infrastructure, they need to make sure that they're doing a good job of locking that down to, uh, to stop it from being abused by, uh, uh, by attackers. Something we saw happen yeah, in 21 and earlier years, we're likely to see a re- repeat of, is victims being attacked multiple times in, in quick succession from, uh, from different groups. Because if an organization has poor security, if it becomes known that they have paid a ransom, then we see other organisations very quick to to learn that and then pile on and uh, also try to compromise that organisation and, and get their own, you know, ransom paid as a, as a result. It's now because of the the trend to exfiltrating information prior to a ransom being demanded. It's now more likely that other criminal groups get to learn that a given organization has been attacked. And hence, because they've learned that, they can then target that organization themselves. And so these kind of pile-on attacks are are often easier for these criminal organizations to spot the opportunity to do that. Another key example of things which were once high-end being more likely to become mainstream, I think we can see that when we look at attacks lower down the software stack. Obviously, most attacks today focused very much at, at the user uh, and the application level and moving into to targeting the operating system. But if an attacker can compromise software running below the operating system at the firmware level, then they've got an even deeper compromise of the machine that's even harder to t- detect and, uh, and harder to remove. That's often been something which has been uh, targeted by uh, by by nation states wanting to compromise a machine in a in a way that's very difficult to detect and very difficult to uh, to remove but something we saw starting to happen last year was run of the mill criminal organizations performing reconnaissance of the the firmware state and configuration just as part of their normal operation when they take over a machine and collect information from it to then send to their command and control server. We saw them starting to collect some of this information about how the firmware, you know, what version it was running, how it's being configured. And so this is a clear warning that the attackers are beginning to start thinking about the opportunities lower down the uh, the software stack. And I think it's quite likely that we start to see organizations exploiting that as we go into, uh, into 22, now they can see from the reconnaissance they've done how this often neglected area of security, you know, what the current state of it is. Many organizations don't lock down the configuration. Many of them don't have a program for regularly updating the firmware. And that leaves these, uh, these systems vulnerable. So with many employees working from home, we've seen additional opportunities for attackers that this creates. So as hybrid work continues into uh, 2022, that creates a more challenging environment from a a security point of view. Obviously, with users without the benefit of of, of colleagues to be able to turn to, they're they're more likely to to click on some of these phishing emails and uh, targeted uh, lures. But also the device within their home is not getting the benefit of the various protections that it would have received if it was on the, the enterprise network with the various firewalls and, uh, and gateways that traffic would be having to pass through. And they'll be making use of devices on their uh, on their home network, perhaps their, their printer. That home network environment Is for many users, you know, is certainly not a particularly secure environment. We all know that, you know, that there are often devices which have default passwords that have old firmware versions in printers, leaving them vulnerable, et cetera. That certainly creates opportunities for attackers to either use a presence on the local network to actually intercept or compromise traffic that is uh, coming from a an enterprise PC, or, for example, having compromised a printer, being able to uh, to take any of the the documents that are printed or, or scanned and uh, be able to to use that as a way of exfiltrating confidential information. And I think we'll more of these kind of attacks in uh, in, in 22 with the. You know, perhaps specific individuals, senior individuals and in organisations being targeted with compromises of uh, of home networks, knowing that they're going to be working from home and using that as a source of uh, of, of collecting um, and, and exfiltrating intellectual property.
3: My name's David Carroll. I'm managing director at Nominate Cyber. I'd characterise twenty twenty one as the year when supply chain attacks and ransomware really came of age. Whilst they're not necessarily new phenomena, they made the headlines this year and certainly got the attention of governments across the globe. So the year began with two high-profile supply chain attacks, firstly the SolarWinds attack, which actually came to the world's attention in December of 2020. but dominated the news headlines well into January and February of this year. This was an attack that was attributed to the Russian Federation and was quickly followed by the Microsoft Exchange attack, which was attributed to China. So these two attacks were attacks that involved one individual breach against two software providers. Uh, potentially providing access to many, many organisations, public and private sector globally. So we're talking large scale attacks, very sophisticated, perpetrated by nation states and because of their scale and the access that they may have afforded to the attackers, they're particularly worrying. Turning to ransomware, uh, losses continued to mount this year. So. BAE Systems and Rusi published a joint paper on ransomware. They described the problem as potentially spiralling out of control. And certainly that view, uh, pessimistic though it sounds, is supported by data from the insurance sector. So this year, Lloyds of London advised its syndicate members not to take on any additional risk related to ransomware. Uh, And we hear that many syndicates are halving the amount of cyber cover cover that they now offer ransomware attacks that caught the headlines included... An attack that threatened life. This was the attack against the Irish Health Executive that's reported to have affected the provision of healthcare across the whole of the Irish Republic and to have cost around $600 million to mitigate. An attack in the US that affected critical national infrastructure was the Colonial Pipeline attack. And it's a good example of what former NCSC CEO Kieran Martin calls the privatization of national security, whereby the corporate network of a private sector organization was attacked. Act and because that company colonial were denied visibility of their commercial operations and whilst there wasn't necessarily a safety issue as the pipeline infrastructure itself had not been attacked a decision was made by that organization to cease the flow of fuel with all of the mayhem that this caused so the penny will have dropped with policymakers that cyber insecurity may manifest itself as commercial risk to operators of critical national infrastructure, but as national security risk for governments. We've seen a lot of brave talk this year about offensive cyber operations, which is a bit of a misnomer in what I'm about to discuss, as it's a particularly badly understood topic. Uh, And a fair bit of nonsense has been in the media about hacking back and going after the bad guys. Most of this has been bluster. And Whilst there have been some significant successes, so Europol taking down criminal botnets, for example, much of what we've seen has been window dressing. We have seen... A much greater willingness to in- issue indictments and take steps to degrade the infrastructures of cyber criminals, and we've even seen in one celebrated case uh, a, a part a part of a ransom recovered uh, that had been paid to a criminal gang. So again, the Colonial Pipeline example: Colonial got just under two and a half million dollars of the reported four million dollar ransom that was paid, and um, they got this back thanks to the FBI. But at present, it's still mostly big talk and nothing yet that you would necessarily describe as a sustainable strategy that's capable of making a difference. We're still somewhere away from anything beginning to resemble a coordinated global plan. Turning to 2022 predictions, if 2021 was the year when supply chain and ransomware attacks made the headlines I think 2022 will be the year of cyber diplomacy, the year when governments across the world finally begin to coordinate policy and regulation. In November of this year, we saw the US and the European Union join the Paris Call, which was the call made by President Emmanuel Macron of France in 2018. It proposes around a dozen principles to defend the stability of cyberspace. The US and EU accession followed the G7 communique issued in the summer Ja. <lacht> and signals a gathering of diplomatic pace with rival cyberspheres attempting to garner support for their own versions of internet governance. So in one camp, the EU, the US and the Paris call signatories will seek to establish norms along liberal democratic lines to protect the internet, electoral processes, personal freedoms, infrastructure and intellectual property. In another camp, the so-called BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, engage via the United Nations General Assembly with their own agenda. Whilst this is a competition that is likely to take several years to play out, it will be interesting this year to see if these two camps can find some common ground and head off any potential bifurcation of the internet. Personally, I'm not optimistic. There are other possibilities in 2022. Sadly, I think we'll see the continued growth in losses. And sadly, I think we'll see the resurrection of certain cyber criminal infrastructures taken down by law enforcement over recent years. I'm not sure we'll necessarily see greater use of economic sanctions against nations and individuals suspected of involvement in cybercrime. And that's because A, there's too much real world interdependency. And B, we're probably too early in the cyber diplomacy life cycle and policymakers may not want to escalate at a time when genuine attempts are being made to de-escalate. Taking the interdependency issue, Russia is where a lot of the ransomware problem emanates. Given the EU's dependency on Russian gas, it's difficult to see the EU agreeing to impose economic sanctions in retaliation for ransomware attacks. Of course, that could all change depending upon the situation in Ukraine. But for the time being, unless there is another compelling event, I really don't see that happening. What I think we could see happening is a ban on ransomware payments for all of those organizations for whom a ransomware attack is neither existential nor poses any threat to life. This is most organisations, so I think a ban could be implemented, it may take longer if the action is multilateral, and I hope it is. For example, if all of the Paris call signatories act as one, it might be a stretch to expect to see that in 2022. I suspect that in many countries we'll start to see tighter regulation. Most countries have attempted to bake cybersecurity regulation into existing regulatory environments. And whilst that's possibly the best model, many feel that a tipping point has been reached whereby a centralised cybersecurity regulator is required, as is the case for personal data. We may also see attempts to regulate the movement of cryptocurrencies. I think this will be a necessity anyway if our anti-money laundering efforts are to have any sort of future. I think we'll see further tightening of the regulation of cyber and cyber enabling technology exports. All of these measures are potentially controversial and will require debate and time to implement. One thing most policymakers and industry analysts can agree on is a requirement for greater national resilience. 2022 will be the year when a realization takes hold that it's unreasonable to expect operators of critical national infrastructure and providers of essential public services to exclusively own national security risk. Hospitals should be focused on keeping people alive and healthy, not combating international ransomware gangs. Therefore, I think we'll see more governments taking more calibrated risks via active cyber defence programmes. It's clear that the market isn't taking care of cyber-related national security risk quickly enough. And I think we'll see more governments adopting programmes to take up the slack left by the private sector. In the UK and Australia, the NCSC and the ACSC both offer protective DNS services protecting millions of organizations from common forms of cyber attack. I think we'll see more governments doing more to protect entire economies at scale.
4: My name is Jamie Collier, and I work at Mandiant as a cyber threat intelligence consultant. So I want to talk about what we are seeing here at Mandiant. Now, it's probably no surprise that ransomware is going to be at the top of many security prediction lists, over the next month or two. I think what we're seeing here is a cyber ecosystem that is becoming adept at recovering and responding to various government or law enforcement pressures. So that's not to say that these governmental measures aren't going to be effective, just that they're up against a very dynamic and agile cyber community. And it's become very adept at adapting to these situations very quickly. I think another interesting thing with ransomware is just the sheer spectrum of extortionary tactics that we're seeing now. I think it's well understood that data theft and data leak is now often integrated into these sorts of operations. But we're also seeing, for instance, ransomware groups call and harass employees or even conduct denial of service attacks. So there's a real spectrum of different threats and extraordinary tactics facing organizations, and that tells me that ransomware response and readiness is now very much a multifaceted and cross-organizational challenge. So there's now a consideration of do we have the PR strategy in place, do we have a legal strategy in place, really covering ransomware from a lot of different angles. I also think that we'll see ransomware groups increasingly try to recruit insiders, and they might even try and punish victims that hire professional negotiation firms to try and reduce the final amount of extortion payments. And I say that we're likely to see those things because we're already seeing them in 2021. And, and ultimately, I think that's what predictions should all always be about, in fact. It's about looking at what we might see in the future but making sure that that's very much based on what we're seeing right now and the sort of emerging threats coming out over the last few months. We'll also be keeping a watchful eye on policy developments around ransomware and how pressure against ransomware operations or the pressure against the payment of extortion, how that might alter these dynamics. So one thing that I am personally interested in is how impacts in one region could spill over into another. So if, for instance, the US ramps up the pressure on ransomware operators, you know, will that have an impact on the European threat landscape? Will we actually see ransomware groups decide to target within Europe rather than the US, for instance? I think FIN12 was an interesting threat group in that it's been traditionally very focused on North America. But since the start of 2021, it's doubled its targeting within the rest of the world. And within that, there's been a notable amount of activity taking place within Europe since the start of the year. So interesting developments to follow there. Moving on, I think... Another area we're seeing is actually within information operations or disinformation, that there is increasing overlap between cybersecurity and these disinformation campaigns. So that might include these campaigns conducting website compromise or social media compromise and using those websites or social media accounts to amplify and distribute fake news or disinformation. We're also seeing a lot of these disinformation campaigns also include a traditional cyber intrusion, so there's that data theft component, and then legitimate information is then distributed online. So so I think that's interesting. We're seeing this play out in the region. We've seen last uh, year or so, Ghostwriter is an information operations campaign that we follow that's really focused on sowing discord within Eastern Europe and really expanded its modus operandi over time. But I think what's interesting is we've observed at least some components of the Ghostwriter influence activity conducted by... Unc eleven fifty one. This is a um, espionage group that Mandiant has linked to, uh, with high, with high confidence to, to Belarus, and I think I think for me that is interesting because we talk so much about the usual suspects, the likes of Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, but we're now seeing countries like Belarus increasingly come to the fore, um, increased appetite now to conduct cyber operations and espionage and information operations. So I think going forward, we'll need to keep a watchful eye on potentially a much more complex threat landscape with a much wider variety of different state actors involved. Having said that, we shouldn't focus exclusively on cybercrime crime and state espionage or information operations. We're also actually seeing um, increased activity within the kind of less sophisticated threat actor space, if you like. So I think we've often dismissed a lot of this and thought just because it's not particularly sophisticated, um, we don't need to be too worried about it. But we're actually seeing some of these less sophisticated threat actors start to have a real notable impact in, say, operational technology and impacting the sort of systems that interact with physical processes. Now, I think it's not necessarily that these less sophisticated threat actors have all of a sudden become very sophisticated or started to innovate. I think it it just highlights the availability of information online and a lot of guides in terms of how to maybe exploit these sorts of systems. Um, so, So really that highlights within that operational technology space, the importance of keeping systems updated watching out for misconfigurations and and some of these basic flaws that allow less sophisticated activity.
0: Those are thoughts on this year's key cybersecurity events and predictions for 2022 from some of this year's guests. That though is all for this episode of Security Insights and indeed for Series 2 and our coverage for this year. We'll be back in January and I hope you can join us then. In the meantime, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk and of course on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. All that remains is for me to thank this episode's guests and indeed everyone who's contributed to the podcast this year and of course to thank you for listening. Have a safe holiday period and a peaceful new year.